Let's run, listeners. You don't want to be dehydrated this summer. You got to try the Drink Element special offer. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. And for five bucks shipping, you can get a free sample pack of electrolytes without the junk. This is great stuff. I love it. Let's Run visitors are loving it. If you don't like it, I will refund your five bucks personally. It is great. No sugar, no gluten, no dodgy ingredients. Drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Track and field fans, if you're not sick and tired of hearing my voice, that means you haven't been getting the daily podcast. You're obviously a track and field fan. You obviously love the podcast because you're listening to it. But you could have listened to us break down the action from Tokyo every single day. And to do so, all you had to do is join the VIP Supporters Club. Go to let'srun.com slash subscribe, support independent journalism, get a free t-shirt, get bonus content. Do it now. Come on, folks. Let'srun.com slash subscribe. Welcome, track and field fans, to the world's greatest track and field podcast, the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. In case you've been living under a rock, the Olympics are over, folks. Molly Seidel, excuse me, excuse me, Molly Seidel is an Olympic medalist. Stefan Hassan has three Olympic medals. And Elliot Kipchoge is still the GOAT and the Olympic champion times two. We'll talk all of that and much, much more. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson, back from Tokyo. Joined by my ace staff writer, Jonathan Gold, also back from Tokyo after a lengthy travel delay. Joined by my, as always, by my identical genetic equal twin brother, Weldon Johnson. And joined, beginning the show, intern Carl has been invited. Carl Winter, folks, is here the sub-four-minute miler. Well, at least terms of the 1500 meter equivalent it's going to be a kick-ass show and if you want to reach us folks this is why we're so great we believe in your voice we believe in you your opinion matters here unlike facebook unlike twitter you can reach us by picking up the phone 844 let's run 844-538-7786 can't wait for the show guys but before we get into the action i want to share some private information just for our vip supporting club members they supported the, they've supported the website to a great extent to the last year, and I want to expose Jonathan Galt as a liberal fraud in the next 20 seconds. So VIP non-VIP subscribers, you got to sign up if you want to hear what I'm going to say right now. All right, let's break down the track and field action. Where to begin? I mean, I, Weldon said it best. Like the best part about going into a casino is when you're in the parking lot; it's anticipation. Like we hype up the Olympics, but they were pretty damn good. Like so much stuff. It was just nonstop, but there's like so much action. It's hard to make sense of it. I mean, do we start with the marathons was the most recent event? Do we just take a big picture? What do you guys want to do? Well, big picture. I want to know what are the events you're going to remember that we're going to be talking about 20 years ago. It's 20 years from now. Like if you go back to Sydney, 2000, we remember Paul Targa versus Haile Gebrselassie. We remember Kathy Freeman. 
We remember Noah and Yen upsetting Hikam El Garouge. Like, what are going to be those moments for the 2021 Tokyo Olympics? And to me, two of them immediately stand out. It's the two low hurdle races, Carson Warholm and Sydney McLaughlin setting those world records. Just McLa- I mean, the Warholm race was probably the greatest race I've ever seen in person. A lot of people are saying could be one of the greatest races, well, could be the greatest race in history. I don't know. That's pretty much impossible to determine. But those two races for sure, I think people will be talking about Tambari and Barshin splitting the gold. That's just an all-time track and field moment right there. Whether you like it or not, it seems like a lot of people, the overwhelming reaction to that moment has been positive. On the podcast, it was a little less so. But either way, that's very memorable. So I think those are the three events that really stand out to me in terms of a legacy point of view. Great Olympics. I mean, first, I want to give a couple shout-outs. One, Japanese people, Japanese Prime Minister, I should know your name, but there are a lot of people who didn't want these Olympics to take place. And if, if the Prime Minister, I think he gets all the credit. If he didn't have the fortitude to make these things happen, I mean, can you imagine if there was no Olympics? They, they seem very successful from a COVID perspective. I don't know. It'll be interesting what the Japanese people think about them in five or ten years. But... That's one thing I just, we can't forget. These Olympics almost didn't happen. I mean, I remember even a couple days beforehand, I'm like, my gosh, they could get canceled, all this other stuff. And also, guys, I want to give a shout out to you guys for your coverage. I think we took let'srun.com to another level with our coverage. Uh, intern Carl, this is his final day, guys. That's why he's joining on early. We, he's moving up in the world. It's not just social media for Carl today. We're going to let him give his insights on the Olympics. But he's, you know, he's peeled back the layers of the onion. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but he seemed let's run. It's kind of hectic. Oh, you see the thunder? What does that mean? Can you hear the thunder? Uh-huh. And, but I think, I thought we took our coverage to another level. I know you guys are exhausted. I'm exhausted. I got sick somehow and I wasn't even in Tokyo. I got a stomach bug and I'm not going to make it through the full podcast. So I apologize in advance. This podcast is coming out on Thursday. But John, you got back Wednesday at 4 a.m. and you left on Sunday and you guys were up at 3 a.m. doing podcast after the show every day. I just want to thank everybody and thank Carl for his help. Back yeah, thanks, show. Carl. Carl was an invaluable member of the team. It makes me sad that he's going. I mean, he was very helpful to have around during the trials and the Olympics and yeah, great, great work for the summer. And maybe, hey, Carl, here's a, here's a carrot for you to chase this season. Run well enough. Make it to NCAAs, you might just get a post-race interview with Robert Johnson or Jonathan Gold at one of these meets. Yeah, that's what will be driving me the entire season as I as I pursue my goals in track. Yeah, I'm sad, though, to be leaving as well after just two months. But you guys let me cover NCAAs at like two days after I was hired. Uh, and then the trials and the Olympics, it was a dream come true, even though having to get up at 3 a.m. here in the Pacific time zone was not fun on occasion. Um it was awesome. It was awesome working with you guys and uh, couldn't be more proud of, of what we did during the Olympics. And yeah, I'll remember. I mean, I was going to say as well that the the Carson Warholm race was probably the one race that actually made me yell in the middle of my house. And like my housemates came running down. They're like, what happened? I was like, a guy just ran 45 in the 400 hurdles. And they didn't quite understand what that meant, but it was it was pretty incredible. And also the Barshim Tambari thing, I, I tend to disagree with you guys on that one because I, I think it was the right way for it to go down. I don't think a, I think I equivalent or 
I equivocated jump off in the high jump to be like penalty kicks in soccer. It's a little bit of a crapshoot and it doesn't necessarily determine the rightful winner when you're jumping at a lower height. So I had no problem with the two guys who are friends just sharing that gold and they clearly are, are fine with it as well. So I remember those moments as well. And, and a number of other things, Safan Hassan, namely. Yeah, I, I did good, good insight there, Carl. I did say that before the show as a producer of the show, executive producer of this podcast, not going to let us complain too much about how we had to get up at 3 a.m. or how we had to stay up till 3 a.m. to to cover the Olympics. Because I'm sure there's people here on the, driving to work right now, listening to this podcast, like some dead end job, some spouse that doesn't like them, they want to get divorced. And- wait, wait, I was I was told that everyone in Let's Run on the message boards makes over a hundred thousand dollars a year and has a smoking hot wife. I thought they and to run sub 14. You're telling me that some people listening to these podcasts might not have that. Well, all the VIP subscribers are that way, John, but there's some people that haven't taken, you know, that next step. They're struggling with their life. You know, they haven't listened to my message. They need to post on the boards more clearly. That's what's limiting them from realizing their lives. Okay. For the record, let's talk about the high jump. I think it's a cool gesture. I think it's amazing sportsmanship. And I've always thought that I maybe I, you know, if I was if my genetics were better and I had more talent, I'm like, do I have the mindset to be a top pro because I'm I think this was one of the things that made me good as a coach. I was always thinking about the other people. Like you know, when Weldon did well, I was happy to do well. Like I could never I would never want to crush my best friend, I don't think, and you know, in some event. So to share it was great. But I just thought, like, this shouldn't be allowed. Like, what? But maybe, Carl, if you maybe you're more of a high jump aficionado than me, like, I don't like penalty kicks. But my reason I don't like penalty kicks is I don't think there's, I think that they supply to there's a real winner. And maybe there's no way to get a real winner here. But I think that's why the jump off, to me, that's much more of a real thing than, than penalty kicks. So, but they were perfect all the way through. So that's a little caveat that I'm somewhat okay with. But I just, I think it was a cool gesture. I think it was cool sportsmanships. I think it's great. But I just, I guess my main take still is, I don't think this really should be an option for you. I mean, what if we go to overtime? I, I, have, I have thought about this in the past. Like, what if the players just refused to kick the penalty kicks and just kept playing? They'd have to let them keep playing, I think. Or would the official say, no, the game's over? What would he do? The official would, like, abandon the game or something. They're not gonna, we're not going to get to find out. But wait, Weldon had a great analogy for this in one of our text threads about how it was sort of, Tamberi and Bartim was equivalent to Weldon. Can you fill us in here? John, I got a really bad stomach bug. I can't. I have no idea what I said oh, okay. 30, 30 well, minutes ago. All right. I will say it because I thought it Thank was... Thank you for the you know, accolades. I'm really well, impressed. You, you put your something. thumbs up. I thought you remember what I was talking about. He said if I tied for the gold medal with Robert, you know, and it, they were in the same situation, would you guys tie? And I believe this was Weldon's point, right? Not Robert's? Yeah. That's yeah, true. you said, yeah, I'd be okay sharing a, a gold medal with Robert because he's my brother, you know? And obviously, Tamberi and Bashim, they're not twin brothers, but they've been on the circuit with each other for a decade. They both underwent the, sa- underwent the same injury. They were both in each other's weddings. Like, if you get to the gold medal, you get an option to share a gold medal with that guy. Yeah, I can understand it. As a fan, I'd, I'd like, I want to see one champion. But if I was in that situation with some one of my best friends in the world and we could share the gold medal, I, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah, for me, it's interesting because 
was looking back at the Olympics and thinking like, what were my favorite moments? And, you know, outside of sort of the performances, you know, Molly Seidel shocking me, Courtney Frerich shocking me. That, you know, I think Mo gets a goal, but I, I expected her to win. I mean, that's how good she was. Even though we had a, some Brits emailing us, they're like, you know, look out, Keely Hodgkin's really good. You guys are playing up a thing too much. But my two favorite moments, one actually is with I think Mo. It's after the race. She's won the gold medal, and she's next to Raven Rogers. And then I think it flashes up on the screen that like Raven got the bronze. And a thing looks at her so excited. I mean, it was like pure joy. And I don't even think they're you know that good of friends. But it was just like, wow, this kid is so cool. Like I guess she just got the gold, so maybe it's easy to be excited for somebody who got the bronze. But she was just like generally happy for somebody else. And then in the men's marathon, you know, they're coming down to the finish, and you know, kicking for the, it's what, Lawrence Chirono. He's been leading the, in second place the entire way, but it's three guys kicking for the final three medals. And, you know, next thing you know, Abdi Nagy, is that his name? From the Netherlands comes flying by him. And then he looks back and starts waving on his friend, Bashir Abdi. And these guys are both originally Somali. They're both coached by Gary Lowe, Paul Radcliffe's coach. And I just thought, at first I was like, what the hell is going on? And then I thought it was cool. I'm just like, wow, this guy in the moment still wants his friend to do well. There's sportsmanship. There's friendship. Just with the high jump, I just didn't know it was a co- possibility, you know? Yeah, and on the marathon, I, I, I liked it mostly because I listed Abdi as an underdog in the race. So that was like my one victory lap where I actually got something right because I completely bungled the women's 10K and women's steeple picks. Um, but otherwise, uh, I, I thought it was cool. I also I felt really bad for Toronto because he he was racing really well and we know that he has a good finish. And But I think what the most wild part was that how much of an impact it had on the race. Like Abdi said after the race, I don't know how I would have gotten through the last 3K without Nikki. And I like he just, he was completely dead after the race. He had to get taken off on a wheelchair. And I, I genuinely don't think he gets that bronze or silver. He probably falls off like the Spanish guy did if his friend Nagui isn't there. So that's just something you don't see very often in an Olympic race or in a pro marathon or something like that, where, you know, yeah. teammates, uh, these guys don't even run for the same country, but friends, just a friendship having that big of an impact on a race, I thought was wild. And I did feel bad for Toronto because of it. Yeah, it it was amazing, but you know them not being, you know, on the same country doesn't mean anything because they train together, so they're actually closer. To, you know, some random, but what was interesting to me was, Nagui said, "Oh, I knew something was wrong because I always want to ask this question of teammates, people who train together, who wins in practice." And John's like, "Why do you care?" I'm like, "Because I want to know who owns who in practice." And Nagui said afterwards, he's like, "Oh." Normally, Bashir's a little bit ahead of me in practice. I knew something was wrong with him. So I urged him on three times. People only noticed it at the end. So like the king of the Netherlands noticed it and was pumped about it. So I was pleased that, you know, they did this. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, he wasn't urging on Toronto. He was only urging on his friend. But it was a cool moment. And speaking of this, who's ahead of who in training? We got to interview Gary Lowe. Does Mo Farah spank these guys still in training? I, I did think about this. I thought, wow, maybe Mo should have actually stuck to the marathon. I don't believe he was losing to these guys regularly in training in the past. Now, maybe this year he was. But, you know, but ironically, let's say Mo Farah gets the silver medal in this race. Would that have been viewed as a disappointment by the British press? 
but it shouldn't have been. And Robert, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for what happens to their practices, but Bashir Abdi and Mo Farah raced each other in the 2019 Chicago marathon. Bashir Abdi beat Mo Farah in that race. And that was the race essentially that chased Mo Farah back to the track. He only got eighth place in that race, 209.58. And after that, he decided I'm going back to the track for the Olympics. So, you know, he was three more than three minutes behind Bashir Abdi. So we've, we've seen them race in a race and Abdi was better. Yeah. There's a let's run visitor named Ryan Setterquist. My apologies. I got that name wrong. He wrote a lengthy article and he's pretty like into this. And he's like, I've never been more upset about something with this high jump. And his whole point was about competition versus decompetition. And he said, when you're focused just on winning, that's actually decompetition competition. You're trying to do the best. And that's what people need to remember. And I get that. And I think like someone like Simone Biles, I think from these Olympics, a lot of these young people, I think social media plays a role. They're putting too much pressure on themselves. Like I have to win. And I get that. That's not what the Olympics is about. Sure. It's a sporting event. We want to win and a loser, but ultimately everyone's trying to do their best. But at some point it is a sporting event. It is a game. And if you're better than everyone else, I have no problem. You kicking it in, not like time trialing or, in this case, they're good friends. It's just, you know, saying, hey, you guys can share this. And they're like, hell yeah, I'm doing it. Like, in retrospect, with them being so close, it's a no-brainer. Well, I've often wondered, like, you know, if I was with my teammate, you, you occasionally see this, like, an NSA cross-country meet, like, normally at the conference level. I think, actually, Tom McArdle did it. Tom McArdle and Ben True, 2002. Country yeah. I'm sorry, Tom McConnell and Jared Shoemaker. Um, but two guys in the same team were ahead of the field. They just kind of went in together, one, two. Like, who's the winner, who's not? Um, so if these guys would have one guy from Netherlands, one guy from Belgium, just kind of cru- – it would have been interesting if nobody's there. Would they cruise in together or would they kick it in? So – All right, can we talk about the worst sportsmanship moment of the race? Because I have a clear wait, wait, one here. No, I, I want to talk about the best. To me, this the, the one that's not being played up the best is not being played up and deserves a lot more credit. Now, World Athletics has it, and they have a great photo of it, was Timothy Chariot, the world's – or at least used to be the world's greatest miler. This guy has never lost to Jacob Ingebrigtsen in his entire life. He's just run a PR in Monaco. He goes to the Olympics and he's beaten. He's beaten by the Wonder Kid. The 20 year old Norwegian beats him. And is he devastated? Does he pout? Is it viewed as a big failure like by the Western media? I don't know how it's viewed in Kenya, but by him, he's like, I'm happy. It's my first Olympics. I have my first medal. And I do think there's a different mindset, perhaps in Africa. Maybe there's some sort of government jobs you get with medals. I don't know. But he gave a bracelet that he was wearing to Jacob Ingebrigtsen. And I don't know. I think most people that are 12 and 0 against a person and just lose Olympic gold are not going to give their guy, a teammate, give this their, their number one rival, you know, a token of friendship. And John, what did he say? I, mean, I forgot what he said in the press conference, the explanation, but. He said when he was leaving his hotel room that morning, he said, if I get beaten, I'm going to give this bracelet to whoever beats me. And he got beaten. And he gave the bracelet to Jacob. And I, yeah, I agree, Robert. I thought that was really neat. It's sort of like, 
it's not a literal scalp, but it's kind of like, hey, you got my scalp. Finally, here it is. You beat me. So I thought that was really awesome too. Now, do you think that he was the fact that he was contemplating losing before is an option? Is why he lost. That's the only reason, not because he set the pace for Yaka. That's why we got on Emily Sisson and Molly Huddle before the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. Remember, Ray Tracy told them, hey, if you're not in the top three, drop out. I'm like, you shouldn't have told him that. All right. Worst sportsmanship moment of the game. To me, this was a runaway. Olympic marathon. Mohad Mvoni at one of the drink station. Just instead of grabbing a water bottle, he sticks his hand out, swipes all of the bottles away, and then finally grabs the last one off of the table. I thought it was an impressive feat of dexterity. I don't know if I could have done that if I tried, especially grabbing the last one after slapping all the other ones away. But just, I thought that I noticed it when it happened and I thought it was incredibly unsportsmanlike. John, that's fake news. Fake news, fake news. Piers Morgan was tweeting about this. This is like the Zapruder film. I've watched it. Some people in Let's Run have zoomed in. I don't think he did it on purpose. There's another guy's hands over there. He reaches from way far over. He's actually, there's two sets of hands if you look close enough at the video, and I'm open to the possibility. And actually, if I had to, if I had to go there, I would say he did, he did not knock them over on purpose. It's interesting you say that, Walden, because I saw you shaking your head. I saw this clip, and I actually tweeted out to the Let's Run staff. When I first saw it, I said, oh, my God, this guy should be banned from the Olympics. This is the worst thing ever. And I've watched it probably five times since. And I was starting to think, am I the only one who thinks he may not have done this on purpose? I I, I, I agree with Weldon. I think if I'm on a jury, not guilty. Not guilty. Okay. Well, I looked like oh, – This is also – see, this is John you know, exposing his non-liberal card. John's used it letting subconsciously bias against North African runners influence him here. Well, they, they well, don't have a good the- reputation on the circuit. I'm just going to say this is a man who two years ago there was a story that broke and apparently someone in a WhatsApp message was demanding payment for EPO and said that this guy had basically stiffed him and you know this is Mohad Amdoni of France who is the European Cup 10,000 meter champion this year. So I, I, that, didn't, I didn't, that didn't factor into what I thought of this gesture but just laying that out there. Carl's our social media expert, Carl. But you can definitively rule here. Give your verdict. The pu- the court of public opinion says he did it intentionally. And I tend to agree with that. Um, he says it was unintentional. The water bottles were just slippery, which I don't buy. And some say that, you know, he's running fast. He's very tired. This was what, like 30K mark? And that there was another table of water beyond it. So it didn't affect that many people. But if we're talking about this, and this is something that we've never seen before, and, you know, people are saying cyclists can can grab bottles and they're going, you know, three times as fast as these marathoners or whatever they're going. And they've never had a problem with this. And he somehow is able he he's too tired to to grab one, but he somehow grabs the very last one on the table. I just don't buy it. And and I tend to agree with the people of Twitter who are bashing him and don't really think that his uh that his explanation is worth anything. He ended up finishing 17th. But yeah, it it seems like if we haven't seen this in a marathon before, it's probably deliberate. John, Carl, too good, too good of logic. You know, we don't like that. We like more emotion on Let's Run. This is I need you to stick around, Robert. You can throw the rationality at, at Robert and Weldon. Sometimes they, well, sometimes Robert gets has a tendency to get along, you know, go along in his own fantasy world occasionally. But uh, we're in reality here. 
with no logic, we are Americans and don't like the French, so we're going to say he did it. <laughs> okay, what bothered me most about the Olympics? It was the disqualifications and non-disqualifications and the lack of transparency regarding those by World Athletics or whoever was in charge. To me, this was a major embarrassment. And I'm going, I think we're going to write an article or I'm going to write an article about like, how can we improve track and field moving forward? What can we learn? I do think making the doubles more double, more doable is, is the key, but also there's got to be a better system. Like there was a lot of controversies in these games about who was disqualified, who wasn't disqualified. And there was never any explanation for it. And it was an embarrassment. I mean, I can think of Francine Nianzabo being DQ'd in the 5,000. The Nigel Amos, Isaiah Jewett thing was an absolutely disgrace because I've watched that close up several times now, and I'm pretty certain that Amos just took out Jewett from behind. And then Amos was put in the final. John, you need to write this down because I don't have a notepad. Or someone email us. You need to contact USATF because someone told me that USATF did not even appeal that decision. They didn't even try to get Jewett in the final, which is disgraceful. I actually think on a number of levels, if Jewett gets in the final, the pace is probably faster. Maybe Clayton Murphy's a gold medalist. Totally could he easily could happen, have happened. And what was the other DQ, non-DQ controversy? There was a big one that I'm missing. Did you talk about Nian Saba? I said Nian Saba. I said Amos. Um, Mixed four by four, but that wasn't as much of a controversy. Just lined up way out. And also, they're going to have an issue in the future with the DSD athletes winning a medal. But that's Chalimo, not really related. Chalimo and uh, I, I and uh, Nicholas Camelli. The, 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 there was, I mean, Camelli basically saying he should have been DQ'd in the 5,000 final, and they ended up going 3-4. But when there's a DQ or a non-DQ, um, well, first of all, it shouldn't, the journalist should never be the ones breaking it to the athlete. Like the race should, if there's a discussion, like there should be like a minimum. It's like in Major League Baseball, there's a time frame you can challenge. Within a minute of the race ending, there should be a something coming up on the board saying this race is under review, or if not, no. And then it's done. No matter what happens, it's done. And then if there is review, they need to say they need to be very specific and release that information to the public at large. This decision was made for the following reasons, even if it's wrong. Like I was told by a World Athletics official that we watched the tape. It was clear that Jewett took out Amos. And no, if you actually look closely, Amos is running behind Jewett. He clips his leg. Then Jewett, on the next step, knocks himself over, and then, then he takes Jewett out. But he only knocks himself over because he was his leg was clipped by Amos from behind. So, you know, just release it publicly and do it quickly. You, you, you know, instead I was getting literally the communications director for World Athletics was telling me, Robert, we can't show you the video because we are not the right holders to the video. And that would be a violation of copyright law. First of all, that's not the way fair use works. Secondly, give me a break. Give me a break. But like Francine the Ensemble has not even been told the explanation for why her disqualification in the 5,000 was disgraceful. And I know a lot of people, I've led the charge against the DSD athletes, I've, but I have great personal sympathy for her. I think she's a cool story. My God, hats off to her for moving up from the 800 and 155, 800-meter runner, moving all the way up to 10,000. I can tell you what, 
Most of the 155, 800 runners I had at Cornell, no way in hell are they running. What did she run? 30, 20 in a 85 degree weather. No way in hell. So kudos to her. She's an amazing athlete. She's an amazing, she's an inspiring story to me. Um, she might be a mental factor going forward. The more you think about it with one year of training. I mean, I don't even know how many months of training she drops. What's her time? 30, 20 in that heat and gets like fifth place. Sixth place. That's crazy. Well, okay. I was wrong about the time. 30, 20 was fourth. She was fifth in 30, 41 point nine three um but yeah let's talk briefly about this intersection issue i thought world athletics and the ioc i mean there's a look they're on our side on this they understand if you have testicles whether they're inside your body or outside your body you should not be in this protected category we have women's sports i'm not saying you have to give birth to be a roman at all that people people try to use that argument but the reason why we have we originally had athletics and then people realized women weren't as good as the top men in athletics. So we create a special category. Women aren't as good because their bodies are uniquely designed to give birth to children. After puberty, they become significantly worse than men. And the reality is a pretty good high school boy athlete is world-class on the women's side. And we saw that in the women's 200. You've got a totally untrained person, Christine Mboma, totally untrained 17 or 18-year-old from Namibia who has never had They've had one Olympic medal ever in the history of their country. And they've got two people from Namibia who just pick up track and field and all of a sudden are like running 48 in the 400. And then they're not eligible for that event because they're intersex. So they go down to the 200 and they get world. athletics got really lucky because she got second, but who does she knock out? She doesn't really, the person that goes down to third is Gabby Thomas. So Gabby's happy to get a medal. It's her first medal. And the person that doesn't get the medal is, Shelly Ann Fraser Price, she's got a ton of medals, so she's not going to complain about it. But imagine if these rules had not been in place. Imagine if this woman had been in the 400 and had knocked Alice and Felix off the medal stand. Wow. That would have been, been mayhem, Robert. No, but a lot of people don't even know about the story. I mean, my buddy Chris Lear, he didn't, he didn't even know that there was an intersex woman in the 200. I personally hope that she, and she's a great interview. She, she, you know, I feel for her. She's 18. She's like, I don't know what they're talking about, why these rules are. I'm just here and I, I run. I personally hope, I don't know, how far off is she from the world record? I hope she destroys Flo Joe's world record. And then we'll, we, we, we need to deal with this stuff. And, you know, I, I think that the rules, I mean, a lot of people think they're going to use these rules. They're going to use their success actually against them because they have more data. But, you know, but can we also one thing about the intersex things, we heard a lot about stuff about the rules. They were designed to keep the black athletes down and they were racist. Huh? Who won the women's 800 at the Olympics? Who got the bronze medal in the 800 at the Olympics? Hmm. Yeah. Well, Robert, we knew, we knew this and we also knew the people who said this was only about Casta Semenya were also totally full of shit and didn't understand the re the, rule either because all three 800 meter medalists in 2016 were DSD. That event I'm think has seen a number of DSD world or Olympic champions in previous years. And then guess what? These women are not allowed to run the 800 meters anymore. And they go down to the 200 in the case of Mboma, or they go up to the 10 K in the case of Francine and Saba. And they're still 
among the five best in the world. So the idea that it was solely targeted at one woman, and also the idea that this only gives them advantage in this restricted area of events, all of these things are being disproven. Yeah, Mboma ran 2181 U20 world record, which is what? 2134 is Flojo's world record. And Beatrice Masalingi, I think, is the other Namibian. She got sixth in the final behind Marie-Jose Talu. And they're both only 18, right? They're both very young. Yeah. Carl, well, you're younger than us. Well, a couple interesting things. I don't know if you want to do social media update. You can stay as long as you want in the podcast, but I'm about to get off this thing because I'm not, I'm under the weather. But I'm curious. Well, maybe Twitter leans so far left. Maybe that's not a good barometer of this stuff. But like, and also the average person probably has no idea what's going on. But do you feel there's a groundswell of opinion one way or the other on these issues, even with Laurel Hubbard, the weightlifter? I mean, I think it's absolutely absurd she was allowed to compete. But I guess maybe it's it's not black and white. But I, I don't know if you think. Or like your friends yeah. are like, oh yeah, they're all behind it. She should be. They should be allowed to compete. You know, transgender people, cool. Like sport. Why put them at a disadvantage? Right. Well, social media tends to be in favor of you know progressive you know things in athletics, and but I don't think anybody really understands you know in the general public the nuances of of these things in DSD athletes. Um, but in general, you know, athletes that I you know, hang around with or people on my own team, you know, think there's got to be some separate category or there's got to be some sort of rules because you even see it in, in collegiate track and field in division two with the hurdlers with CC Telfer. And, and there was a runner for the university of Montana um, who ran for their men's team one year and then ran for their women's team the following year and did really well. Um, but the hormone treatments did seem to work. Like it's not like, I think June Eastwood was her name dominated, the, the women's side um, for years to come. So I think athletes generally think, you know, it's, it's a little bit unfair. There's got to be some separate category, some separate way to solve it. Well, the good news is, and we, we don't, we shouldn't be talking about this. We should be talking about the Olympics. People don't want to hear us talk about the intersex, you know, discussion, but the good news is the IOC had a held a press conference and they, they admitted that, the, the, that this, the science is changing. They're kind of behind in the times. I mean, it makes no sense right now that it, Intersex athlete has to get their their um, testosterone down to five nanometers, but a transgender athlete like Caitlyn Jenner can go at ten. So you're punishing someone who was naturally, you know, just born intersex versus somebody who was born male and then wants to switch over to the other team. So it's totally crazy. But let's talk about you know some of this amazing Olympic stuff. Well, shall we shall we hit a couple of calls? social media topics here and then you can decide if he wants to stick around i think you have two more for us call sure sure and we can go to to sprint stuff in a second but i wanted to bring up this tweet from michael johnson which i thought was really interesting and can hopefully kick us off he tweeted of all the tokyo 2021 track and field gold medalists is there anyone who will repeat as champion over the next three years of major championships eugene budapest and paris and I mean, we could take it a step further because there's another championship in 2025, which has yet to be awarded, I believe. Um, so three years, the past three years, we had only one between 2018 and 2020. And now this is the first of five straight years with a global championship in track, which is exciting. So is there anyone who you guys think can run the table with five straight golds? Obviously would be outrageously difficult to do. Um but I could think of a few possibilities, at least on the distance side. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I thought it was an interesting point that he brought up. It's a great question. I don't think there's 
I don't think it will happen because winning five in a row is just injuries happen. Some new person will pop up. But I think there are a couple of people. I think you would have to say a thing Mo would be favored to be in that position. You would kind of expect her to win every year. Jakob Ingebrigtsen, you would, you know, at this point, assuming like if he's now better than Chariot moving forward, you would kind of think him to win every year, especially if he can just turn the 1500 into this kind of race where he's running from the front and just, which is really hard to do. Berager in the 10K, that's a possibility. Cheptegei in the 5K, I think. I don't think he's so much better than everyone that he'll be able to no, dominate. No, John, John, stop the nonsense. Berager in the 10K? The guy's 21 years old, Robert. Did you see? Like, you know, we're, talking winning, can... we're talking about winning five in a row. Right? I don't think he will. I'm just saying it's possible. He's young enough. I think there's enough competition between Kip Limo and Cheptegei that probably not, but. I think, that, all right, let's simplify it. The best bet on the men's side, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. The best bet on the women's side, a thing mo. I expect a thing mo to do it. This girl can't be touched. If she but, stays motivated, although I just hope. I mean, Keely Hutchinson's 19 years old as well. I mean, they both dropped from 201 to 157 this year. Sure, we thought a thing was better, but like, for another 19-year-old to run 157, you got to think she's got a chance. I mean, I think yeah. maybe we're, we're too close to it right now. We're not seeing the bigger picture. And also, this made me think, did we not give Mo Farah his due? I mean, the guy, what, doubled every single time from win to win? He, one point, he lost one 10K, right? And then he just reeled him off? He he won every – he doubled and won at every championship from 2012 through 2016. So that was 2012, 2013, 2015, and 2016 – he also won the 5K in 2011 and the 10K in 2017. So he won 10 straight global championship f- finals, which is it probably will never be done again. I mean, Mo, come on the podcast, man. Pretty amazing. Well, I don't see any reason why Safan Hassan couldn't do it in either the 5 or the 10. I don't know about both. I, I don't know which is more oh, likely. Oh, Hassan. Maybe the 5 because it seems like a sweet spot event where it's it's a little bit less deep. But yeah, I would also agree that I think Mo and Ingebrigtsen would be my highest chances. Mo higher than Ingebrigtsen. But Hassan's got to be in that conversation too. Well, the issue is she's 28 years old. And to be doing it again five years from now, she's been running at a world-class level since about 2013 or 2014. It's just hard to hang on with well, with age, injury risk goes up. So that's sort of my qualm with her. But I think next year she'll be the favorite in the 5 and 10 again. Well, it's only four years from now, right? That's true. That's true. So she would be 32. It's still 32 is getting up there for a distance runner. But it's possible. But what if she – I mean, she might try – she was talking about the 800 10K double with her coach going into Tokyo. And now that she really did well in the, the triple – I'd actually like to see her do that next year in Eugene. What about sprints? I mean, I don't think Marcel Jacobs is going to be running, winning five straight. Steven Gardner could do it. He's young enough. DeGrasse, I don't think it'll happen. Oh, Arian, what about, I mean, Arian Knighton didn't win. I think he could win the next four, but uh, he didn't win this year. Yeah, my number one on the sprint side would be Sidney McLaughlin. Oh, I mean, Warholm could, but you have to think that, that Benjamin's going to beat him eventually. So, I, I mean, I would definitely think that McLaughlin oh, would be wow. my number one. Definitely, McLaughlin. She could be led with Moses of women's track and field. Warholm, they're too close to him. 
I mean, there, you know, I mean, Muhammad's pretty close to, to McLaughlin, but she's older than her. Um, J- John just said, did, did I just hear John say that 32 is old for a distance runner? Uh, yeah. How many, how many 32 year olds won an Olympic gold medal on the track this year, Robert? Tell please tell me all of them. I'll, I'll listen. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how old Mo, Mo Farrell was when he started winning. Mo Farrell was 33 when he won his final Olympic gold medal. He was 34. He was also a massive, massive historical outlier in terms of age. No, like pretty much once you turn 30, you stop winning gold medals on the track apart from Mo Farah and Vivian Cherriot did do it at the 2016 Olympics as well. But it's, it's very rare. But Michael Johnson's got some good tweets. He's a good Twitter follower. He was into the Hassan thing. He was like tweeting about her going for the triple. And have we even talked about that? I mean, this woman went for history and sort of didn't get much. How was it played? Was it played up on US TV, guys? When you talk about US TV, it's kind of hard to talk about because there's three different streams. I don't know what an NBC, the average person's watching NBC, but by the time something airs on NBC, it's 12 hours later. So I don't know how much play she got with mainstream America. Yeah, she went mainstream on Twitter for the the comeback in the 1500, which ironically is the one event she didn't even win in the final. Uh, but if you're talking about the average track fan in the U.S., knowing who Safan Hassan is, probably not, uh, because just Americans weren't really factors in those races. Um, but it was incredible. I'll remember that 1500 for a long time. It's just insane to imagine someone able to come back from that it was pretty right. wild. I mean, yeah, the U.S. coverage generally is focused on the Americans. John, there's some British cyclist who won a bunch of gold medals in like something called Kieran or something. I never heard of the guy ever. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, if you said the name, I'd probably Chris Hoy. Is that who they're talking about? Maybe. I don't know if you said they. They yeah, Britain has some good cyclists. What about him? I don't think that guy made NBC once. I, I didn't see him. I saw it in Daily Mail app afterwards. Oh yeah, no, Chris Hoy was from previous Olympics. I don't think he was at this one. But anyway, the. I, I, want, I have a question to pose to you guys. Was what Sifan Hassan did in Tokyo the most impressive feat by a distance runner at an Olympics? I'm not and just the women's side here. Because I think it was. Women's side, I gotta say yes. I don't know, but you know, a wee baby Keely running barefoot through Rome. I'm all about nostalgia. I mean, if you're talking ever, I'd have to go with Zardopak 5K, 10K marathon gold in Helsinki 1952 on the men's side. But in terms of women, I, I don't even know if anything's close. I mean, we've seen women double in the 5K and 10K before, but to do that and to get bronze in the 1500, it's just it's unbelievable, man. Almazayana's run in 2016 was pretty insane, but that's one event and like only 10 female distance runners ever have at least three Olympic medals in their entire career. That's not even goals, just three medals. And she won three in nine days. So I don't really see, even though Ayana's was just crazy to see in 2016 and kind of came out of nowhere. There's no way that any one event can match this. I I don't know how she wasn't dead at the end of that 10 K, but I guess Gide maybe didn't have it on the day, but it was just incredible, especially after apparently calling her shot the previous day, saying, oh, now that I lost the 15, I, I have a 90% chance of winning the 10. She's just ridiculous. It was very interesting interviewing her because normally the interviews are sort of perfunctory with most people and they're kind of saying what they should say. I When I felt like when I was talking to her, I felt like what she was saying, like she believes what she's saying. 
So she said, why did you, why are you doing the triple? She's like, once I lost in Monaco, I was outraged that I'm just decided I was going to do the triple. The pressure was off. And then once she lost the 1500, she's like, I will win tomorrow. There's a 90% chance I win. If I won today, there was a 5% chance. And it didn't, you know, the 10,000 was interesting because Gade pushed the pace, pushed the pace, pushed the pace. And then she wore herself out and had nothing left. And everyone else just jogged around her for the last three laps until they kicked like, you know, 100 or 200 to go. But Hassan came through the mix zone and said she was wiped. But she won by so much, I thought, oh, it was easy. She's like, no, my neck, there's something wrong with my neck. I almost passed out, blah, blah, blah. So really impressive. It gets me to wonder, what would Mo Farah have done if he had done these things? I mean, Mo Farah had a 328 PB. He just never tried the triple. Or Holly Gabriel-Celesi, because Holly did win a win in, win world indoor gold in the 1500. Yeah, I think the problem here, Robert, is that Farah was he was better than everyone in the five and ten, but I don't think he was like way better like Zafan Hassan was. Like he'd beat people in a kick, but there would be people close to him. Like Hassan would just blow people away when she kicks against them. The second thing is, especially with how the fifteen hundreds were run back in Farah's day, they were, you know, it was a mid three thirties winning time. You would have to have good kick and good positioning and everything. I just don't think he'd be. I think he'd be left behind when it came to the kickers. In a, in a, kicking in a fifteen hundred is different from kicking in a five k, and I don't think he would have meddled in any, in any of those events. He would have meddled in the five k ten. The fifteen hundred would have been too much. Well, if you put, you don't think he meddles in this fifteen hundred here? Uh, no. His personal best was three twenty eight eight. Do I think he could have run three twenty nine zero after after the five k? Or off to the 10K, however it was. No, I'm out. just saying flat out, if you put him in the 1500 fresh. Uh, this one, I still say no, but he would have had the best chance of anyone. Oh, I think he definitely medals in this race. De- he definitely medals. He would have definitely. had to run his personal best, Robert, would have gotten him like second or third, barely. Like, I don't think you can just say this is what his money, like Katia. All right, let's take the Katia example. Mohamed Katia, 5K, 10K guy, runs 328 in Monaco. There's, I don't think he would have medaled in this race, even though he was third behind Ingebrigtsen. And, sorry, he was second ahead of Ingebrigtsen and behind Kachariot in Monaco. I think that Katia and uh, Farah might have had a better chance in this one than they do in like 2012 or 2016. I can see them getting their doors blown off by the real 1500 kickers in 2012 and 2016, but managing to hang on in this race, which kind of was a Monaco style race. I mean, Katir kicked pretty well in Monaco, even though it was Monaco time trial. He, he almost caught Chariot. So I don't know. I think they'd have a better chance this year. I think in 2012 and 2016, there's no way fair medals. Oh, I, I agree with that. I'm just saying, I also don't think they would have medaled this year, but this, this year definitely would have been their best shot. This one in 2019 with the way the races were run. Well, I was at the 328 race. Didn't realize it. We're forgotten. Which one? He ran 328 twice. Oh, he did? Yeah. Monaco. What? They were both in Monaco. 2013 or 2015? That's what I'm asking. 13, 13. Okay. Carl, you have more on the social media front? Yeah, just one last thing that I wanted to bring up there. I mean, we've got a lot of people... Uh, you know, that are very active on Twitter after returning to Tokyo and two good follows in U.S. sprinting are Fred Curley and Trayvon Bromel, uh, who tend to kind of tweet 
these random, like very short things that you're not exactly sure how serious they are about. And, and one of them, well, Curly, I, we haven't mentioned him yet today. Great story. I mean, he talked a big game, backed it up. Everyone was scratching their heads about his 100, 200 uh, aspirations and he gets a silver. So kind of made up for Bromel, not getting a gold there, but he tweeted 400 meters soon and then tweeted something else about phase 42 and going after the world record in that. So I don't know if he plans to switch back this year that soon or or maybe next year. I don't really know if he's if he thinks his business is done in the 100 or what. Uh, and then you've got Bromel tweeting 9.65 dot, 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 dot today. And then he follows that up. What did he tweet, John? It was 9.34. 9.36. 9.36. So I don't know if these are like his goals in the 100 or what. Um, but if if he's tweeting about hundreds, that's probably a good thing. It means he's healthy and ready to go for the rest of the year. And hopefully we get to see both these guys continue running and maybe Bromel get some, you know, a little bit of revenge after you know, not making the final in Tokyo. There is a hundred and a 200 at pre. I noted that as well, but not a 400. So I, we won't see Curly in a 400 there, but hopefully we see both these guys running again soon. Yeah. 965. I, I don't think it means he's healthy. I mean, maybe that's what he's shooting for for next year. I, but he never said he was injured at the Olympics. So I assume he's healthy, but 965. Yeah. That's a, that's a hundred time that it's not impossible for Trayvon Bromel. 9.36. I don't know if he's talking about, you know, I don't know what that can refer to because it sure ain't a hundred time. No one's running nine three six anytime soon. So sorry, Trayvon. If Trayvon goes and runs nine six five, will you guys view this year differently? It, to me, it would mean he choked at the Olympics. Yes, it would mean a, it would be a colossal choke if he goes to pre and runs nine six five. No, no other way to frame it. I mean, I'm sure he wants to do well, but like. In some ways, it's sort of a catch-22. Like, the worse he does, almost the better it makes him look for the Olympics. I'm like, oh, he's tired by the end of the season. What an amazing comeback story. The guy's a total warrior. There we go. Everybody have a drink. Wait, why is he a warrior? Well, then, you got to tell us why. Well, he limped through the mix zone in 2016. No, he didn't limp through. He went, or he did limp through, sorry, and he after leaving the track on a wheelchair. I was waiting for the wheelchair. That's the the one where I drink, because that's the key word, so. To, To be with his teammates, so. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a Trayvon Bromel fan, so I guess I wanted to do well. But in some ways, it'll make the Olympics look worse. So, be interesting to see what they do. I mean, I, it is great. So, Shanghai Diamond League was supposed to be this weekend. It got canceled because of COVID. But this is very unusual. We have like Prefontaine Classic after the Olympics. Actually. John, do you have interest in going? We didn't. We, usually, it's like the first event. We all go, or somebody goes, but we hadn't even thought about it. Well, then, any other year, I actually would love to go to this meet. We're going to Carrie Richardson's going to be back. Unfortunately, I have a wedding that weekend, and don't think I'm going to be able to attend. But yeah, I, I'm. I mean, this has been our like, sort of Olympic wrap up podcast. But I'm so excited for what we've got left on the track and field calendar. Pre classic, that's always one of the best meets on the calendar at the New Haywood Field with fans. I mean, that's going to be great. And then the Diamond League final this year, have you guys realized how awesome this is going to be? Instead of the one, you know, the two separate meets in Brussels and Zurich and they're a week apart or whatever, this one, we just have a mega final in Zurich. Two days, going to be great races every time. I've, what I have heard, or at least they were planning on doing this, year, this last year, I don't know if they're still doing this, is they were going to do some like, 
outside of the stadium race for the 5k or something, they're going to turn it into like a street event around the city center or something. I kind of hope they don't do that. I'd prefer to just see a 5k on the track, but those are going to be awesome. And then maybe some of these Armored Diamond Leagues, oh, look, these are just fantasy races, but I want to see a Thing Mo versus Sydney McLaughlin versus Sean A. Miller-Webo in a 400. And I want to see Carsten Warholm, Rye Benjamin, and Steven Gardner in a 400. Those are my dream races. Look, I'm really pumped for the rest of the track season. I hope these athletes are mentally motivated. Some of them were talking about it. Some of them seemed like they were done. But it's August 11th. It's early. We could get some super fast times. We got the super spikes. Um, oh, by the way, I heard in the U.S. broadcast they never mentioned the super spikes. Is that true? Like, how do they just ignore that topic? The British press was was very into into the super track and the spikes. Oh, when they go to the A team, they're like piping them in for like two minutes, so there's not time to say anything. Also, Warholm said he is running a 400 in Lausanne. So hopefully we get a Steven Gardner, right? Benjamin in there. Full field hasn't been announced yet, but Warholm does want to run fast in the 400. I think he'd already like have destroyed all of Norway in the 400 this year, it, even running it with hurdles. So excited to see what he can do there because we haven't really seen him do that that much. We know right. Benjamin and Sidney McLaughlin can run fast in 400. I don't know about Warholm. If our sport was real, we'd have meet directors begging for these athletes to come think about the John. Think about what John just said. Sidney McLaughlin, Versus all thing Mo versus versus Shawnee Miller Wable. That would be amazing. I mean, our the women, the star power, by the way, in the women's four by four in the US team was sick. Allison Felix, all thing Mo, McLaughlin, and and who am I missing? And Dalil Muhammad. Robert, that is another good point. That is gonna be a race I remember from Tokyo. And I'm not gonna remember what happened in the race because it was kind of irrelevant. The U.S. won by a mile, though. I think Mo did split forty-eight-three, which is freaking sick. But I'm just going to remember seeing that picture and linking these two generations of track and field. You've got Felix on her way out. You've got a thing Mo and Sydney McLaughlin on the way in, and they're huge stars. I mean, McLaughlin, Mo, and Felix could be three of the biggest four stars in the U.S. You know, the star of the 2010s and the star of the 2020s. That was awesome, and also. Have we ever had any relay team in history with four individual Olympic gold medalists on it? Because that's what we had with McLaughlin, Mo, Muhammad. Have we? Has anyone ever had? I know. That's what I'm saying. Has any relay in any event ever had four individual Olympic gold medalists? Because that was amazing. And then the one that you missed, John, was, you know, Shakari Richardson versus Elaine thompson Hera. So that would be sick. And then I want to see some of these distance people. I mean, a, start, a, a lot of – we didn't really get to see what Borrego's capable of. He just ran the 10 and then wasn't allowed to do the 5. There's a lot of good Ethiopians that were not in this – were not in um, Tokyo, obviously. King Chez was nowhere to be seen as well. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be tearing up the Diamond League circuit the rest of the summer. Okay, that was a joke, people, but I wish he would. I mean, I just, you see, like, Mohamed, who never won an NCAA title, get an Olympic silver medal. People who say, oh, King Chess was NCAA class. He wasn't world class. Give me a break, people. But um, there's a lot to be looking forward to. And I want to see some of these, like, I still think a great console. I hope Matthew Centrowitz is motivated. I would like to see an American record of the pre classic for him in the mile. 
his flame out didn't make any sense to me. The workouts were good. I think they hopefully they just been jogging with strides and hit pre. And Clayton Murphy, though, his comments after the thing sort of disgusted me. I didn't talk to him, John. So what was the attitude? He's like, I don't care about the American record. I only care about these championship meets. I'm like, dude. Right. Disgusted? That's ridiculous, Robert. He would look, he had just ran a bad race in the Olympic final. Like, he's entitled to be a little upset. He wasn't saying, like, oh, this doesn't, like, maybe that was caught up in the heat in the moment. I'm sure if he breaks the American record. Well, I, I didn't get the context. I'm asking you. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. No, no. I'm, ta- I'm, I'll try to provide it. it. Upset. I should have said disgusted. It upsets me as a fan because I want to see him run fast. I think he's in great shape. I went back and watched his 800 several times. At USA's, he went 51.6, 51.5. In this race, he goes 54, and then he only closes in 52. But it's because he ran the entire thing in lane two or lane three. I did the math. He ran at least one extra lane out from career. So that's seven meters is one full second. They're basically running seven meters per second in that race. So you move him up a second. I don't know that he medals, but he's right there in fourth place. And if he's in the hot, maybe he does better. I do think that the best guy in that field, I think the best guy in the weekend was the silver medalist, Ferguson Chariot. Um, he, his tactics, he was kind of near Murphy for some of that race. wasn't great tactically. And career's the champion. But all right, what were you saying? All right. I, well, I was just saying, Murphy, you know, he just said, hey, look, there was everyone wanted to be in second right off the leader. Only one guy can have that spot. He couldn't get it. He wasn't in good position. You know, he basically put it like, look, the winning time was one, what was it? 145. Like all these guys can run 145 in their sleep. It was just, it was a very good field. And that kind of 800 was winning times 145 positioning is going to be key. He could never get good position. Now I think we need to let Weldon go here. He looked like he was just about to fall asleep. Actually, he was falling asleep for about one minute there. Weldon, we thank you for soldiering on for, this is your flu game from the 97 finals, like Michael Jordan, uh, and looking forward to having you back at full health next week. Thank you, thank you. And thank you, Carl. Hope you enjoyed the summer. We, we can have an exit interview next week. we we got to sign you. I don't think you've signed an endorsement deal yet. I mean, when you when you came on for the internship, like we weren't even allowed to, I don't even know, like, can I even admit, you know, say that this guy's run 340? But the game has changed, Carl. I'm sure people are banging down the doors. Yeah. Now you can market me. I can market myself. I'm probably going to go here too. I got to do a second run this evening before it gets dark. It's still only 7:20 here on the uh, West Coast. But uh, I do want to thank you guys as well, just for giving me the opportunity. I didn't even know you guys were going to let me write anything, and I ended up writing stuff during the Olympics, which was awesome. And and I just can't be more grateful. And who you know who doesn't want to get paid to to watch Olympic events? So it was awesome. And by the white future. Bright future, Carl. I was impressed by what I saw. Very helpful. Yeah, yeah. Whoever, wherever you end up after uh, Pepperdine, I'm sure you'll you'll do great things. I called him better, John. He's younger, faster, got more hair, cheaper. Every, I mean, I, I don't, I don't. Doesn't have the accent. That's the only thing missing. He's well, yeah. German. Next German. And next summer, you know, I'd love to come back. Hopefully, though, I'm competing at like Worlds or USA's instead of covering it uh, or NCAA's, I guess, would be the first step to that. Um, so that's what I'm striving for. Um, but yeah, may run a 50 or somewhere. So I'll, I'll be busy next summer, hopefully, with all running related things. Oh, are you going to do you going to do like an Oregon fifth? Yeah, that's the Ivy League route. Uh Carl, don't go to Oregon, please, Carl. Oh, no, go to Ben Thomas. Never mind. Change my mind. Ben Thomas is there. He's the best. 
I don't know. What about Syracuse, John? You went there for a fifth year, right? Oh, yeah. uh, I didn't. I didn't compete there. I just got my grad school degree because I was never injured in, in college, really. But that's. I mean, I I think Brian Bell is a good coach. I just think if you want to be a Milo like you, West Coast guy, I mean, kind of hard to top Oregon, right? True. Absolutely. No, Syracuse, probably... journalism school. Go to the journalism school. Brian Bell can coach you. Upstate New York, baby. That's where it's at. The Cuse. Yeah, I have visited there, um, so we'll see. I'd love to be able to run there. I'm probably going to get in trouble just for even talking about that. Hopefully, hopefully not. Um, but yeah, I, we'll we'll see. We'll see where life takes me, and if, see if I can run faster than 340. And your nickname's the German Missile, correct? That's your your posting name. Yes. So now everyone knows who that is. Not that uh, I've I posted like twice ever. I think. Um, is that a German bomber in the background there behind you, on the wall? It is not. Uh, I don't know what you're looking at. Maybe okay. the Ferris Bueller poster. Oh, it is Ferris Bueller. It looked like a plane well then. Ferris Bueller uh, had his feet kicked up, and it did look like a plane. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's my roommate's. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have any German bombers up on the wall. Okay, um, good. It's not a good look, you know? No, yeah. that was what my high school coach, coach uh, called me, but he wasn't exactly a PC either. All right, guys. We'll see you all later. John and I still have some track to talk here. All right. Sounds good. Okay, Robert. We've had a lot of positive talk about the Olympics, what we enjoyed, most inspiring moments, you know, what's coming up next, the races we're excited about. I think we have to go negative now. All right. I'm going to get out of here. Not everyone had a good Olympics. I want you, your biggest disappointments from Tokyo. Who are they? I mean, distance wise, we're a distance site primarily. I want anyone. I mean, I guess I they're assistance runners. I think the sprinters, it was more. I mean, I hate to say it, but she, she, she called that herself, Emma Cobra. I was stunned by that. I was absolutely stunned by Emma Cobra. I mean, this is a woman who always gets it right. Now, I felt bad about being right. You know, I said she would not medal in the Olympics, and she didn't, but I was very surprised by that. I thought for sure she would medal actually with the form she was using. Um, heading into the games and uh, I thought it was possible. She won the gold medal and instead. No, she, she got DQ'd. She, I think she crossed the finish line 14th and then was DQ'd uh, for stepping on the infield or whatever. But you know, she said like, Hey, I got, I was terrible. Like there was actually a good, interesting article in the Denver post or doing the Denver papers. And it was like, this is supposed to be the feel good games and mental health. And she's like, no, she had none of that. She was like, call a spade a spade. So I like that, that she was willing to say I was terrible. Uh, I, I, it's pretty rare when someone's just off their game. There's really no explanation. Maybe she was sick, didn't realize it. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I think it was just the heat, Robert. I think she. I don't think she was sick. Like She said her training had been going great. She what do you mean she the was, heat? She meddled in Rio. I Look, I know. Yeah. And Rio was just running in the middle she of the day. She has but, run well in the heat before. That does not mean every time you run well in the heat, you are guaranteed to run well the next time out. For whatever reason, she said basically her body shut down uh, shortly after Courtney Froakes made that big move. What I assume the heat had something to do with it because it was it was quite hot and humid, and I really don't see any other good reasons for it. Like usually, usually someone who's she was running a pace she has run many times before. This was not an outrageously fast pace. It was a big move by Courtney Frerichs. Certainly took a lot to respond to it, but she basically said, look, th- with the same kind of thing happened in in Monaco right before the Olympics, and I ran fine there. She did, you know, she ran 909 with falling down. So 
I think it was probably the conditions or something, but yeah, she had a stinker and then she owned it. And then after the race, she stood in the mix zone and asked, answered questions for 15 minutes. So I gained a lot. I already respected Emma Coburn a lot, but I respected her a lot more for standing there and just answering every question and being very forthright and honest about the whole thing. So kudos for, to her for that. And yeah, it was, it was unfortunate to see her run so poorly. You know, a good way to look at this would be to go through the Let's Run.com Running Warehouse Prediction Contest. By the way, folks, I crushed that. I won the heptagonal group, the I'd League. I beat all the nerds, won it. I had a chance on the last day to actually win the whole thing. I switched all my marathon picks because I was only eight points out. Perfect score in the marathon would have tied me for the Let's Run lead, but Kipchoge had to actually win the thing. But um, oh, we, we should go score the contest and see like which of the favorites did the worst. You know, like any first place, because I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head. I was also stunned by Clayton Murphy. Like he was so good, and he looked so good, and re- like he was so good at USA's. I'm like, gold medal. This guy can win the gold. And then, you know, his European season wasn't good, but he's like, I was training through that. And then, sure enough, he looked so good in the first couple rounds. I'm like, this guy's definitely in the hunt here. And just to see him get last, but he just it was all tactics. And I need to make a video about him. I need to make a video about him and Kate Grace about what they got wrong tactically. Watching it, having watched it again today, I don't necessarily think he wins the gold. But if he ran the same race tactically as Amanda Career, oh, I think he's right there with him, one hundred percent. So that that was shocking to me. Um, and the other distance runner, well, I mean Nigel Amos gets a gift to get into the final, and I, I'm a big fan of him, but. At some level, you just got to stop making excuses. Now, he said he got hurt when he fell down, and he was taped up. Stomach was taped. I just I really wanted to see that guy do better. But I feel bad for getting at Wally. This guy wins the – he's a steeplechaser that was fourth at Worlds in 2019. He doesn't run the steeple at the Ethiopian trials. He runs the 5K. Things totally loaded. He wins it, right? Yeah. 12, fast time. And then he was going to do the five at the – Olympics only, apparently. The Ethiopians pressured him to run the steeplechase, which is what I would have done because the steeple looked pretty open. He runs the steeple sort of against his own will, but he agrees to do it thinking, but he doesn't know that Gurma's going to run it. Gurma gets healthy. The Ethiopians also put Gurma in there. So there's less medals. Wally was right there for the medal, but if Gurma's not there, he might even would have medaled. Doesn't medal in the steeple comes back and bombs out of the first round of the 5,000. Was it the next day? I think it was the next day. So he goes home with nothing. Just irate. Yeah, a couple other guys I was thinking of. I mean, Jay Whiteman in the 1,500. I had very high hopes for him, especially after the semifinal. He looked fantastic. Tenth in the final in 335. I don't know what happened. I don't understand that at all. That you know, it's not a good result for him. And then, and folks, let's run listeners, you know, people who haven't been listening to the VIP daily podcast. Whiteman was going to be a cool story because his dad is the Olympic announcer. His dad announces the 1500. His dad is also his coach. And I was like, if I'm his dad, I lose it in the last 50 meters. Like, that's my son, the Olympic champion. I mean, I, I was as good as he looked in the same race. I'm like, this guy should medal. It's just totally non factor. Yeah. And then from an American's perspective, Hillary Bourne not making the steeple final. I thought he was very close as well. And just he's the US champion. He won a Diamond League this year. I think meddling based on how he ran in Monaco would have been tough. 
especially since everyone else in the steeple up that game. But not even making you're if you're the US champion, you should be making the final. So that was a poor race for him as well. And then sprint yeah. side. Oh, what well, I don't know. Did you have a comment on board, Robert? No, I was gonna say I see the notes here on the sprint side. I know you're down on Trayvon Brumel. Well, I mean, I think you have to be, right? He was fairly heavy favorite coming into the Olympics. I know his two races in Europe, he didn't run particularly fast. He was beaten in Monaco, but I think a lot of people, as I did, saw that early stumble that threw him off. You know, he that's why he got fifth instead of winning the race. And then he wins Gateshead. I thought, okay, he's been unbeatable, pretty much untouchable all year. He was one of the biggest favorites and to not even make the final, it just looked like something was wrong. And he, afterwards he basically thought, one, well, actually it's interesting. One of the knocks I heard on him, one of the few knocks was someone pointed out, yeah, this guy runs fast in America. You know, he runs on fast tracks like Haywood Field and down in Florida. He's never come to Europe and backed it up. Like when has he ever run well overseas? And I said, well, he did actually medal in the 2015 Worlds. Like is it, he said after the race, you know, I, I don't have the same experience racing overseas like some of these other guys. I haven't done it. And it's almost as if he forgot about the 2015 Worlds where he got the bronze and the 2016 Olympics where he made the final. So to not make the final, I thought that was a disaster. And then Michael Norman, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't sure what to make of Michael Norman, but finishing fifth, he gets beat by Michael Cherry. Michael Norman should not be losing to Michael Cherry. And then Holloway, we sort of talked about it before. You know, it would have taken a good run for him, but he had run 12.81, 12.96 and then at the US trials and then 13.02 in the first round in Tokyo. And he only runs 13.09 in the final and clearly he fell apart the last three hurdles. A good race, but you know, a great race by Grant Holloway. He runs, he's not even close. A good race, he wins that race most likely. So those three guys stood out to me. Well, I don't think comparing Holloway to, to although I guess, I guess off their PB, Holloway was way farther off his PB. No, but Hol- no, no, no. Holloway was not like Bromel was the complete disaster. But I'm Norman saying for, Norman Holloway's for running farther off his PB than Bromel is. But yeah, I agree with you. Like it was Bromel for me, but. If you actually look at his Gateshead, look at his last four races, including the, these are two two rounds of, of Tokyo, 10.01, 9.98, 10.05, 10 I mean, that's what he was. Maybe let's see what he does the rest of the season. Obviously, it's something off of this body. You know, maybe he's tired or whatever. Um, no, but Holloway, no, but- I, I, I'm a big Holloway fan. He's been on the podcast. I still debate, like, was he pulling a safety? Like, no one else would run fast. Nobody else in that field had shown any indication they were going to run to 13.10. So he's just like, just don't hit a fucking hurdle. Don't fall over. I'm going to win the Olympic gold. He gets a little bit tight, but he's making sure he's getting over the hurdles, not hitting them, instead of just attacking them. Like I was really nervous the day of, of the Olympic trials because I like Grant. I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to fall. The hurdles are tough. And he just attacked it, destroyed it at the trials. And that's probably what he should have done here. But if he destroys it and pulls a Gale Devers and falls, people are going to be criticizing him too. So, you know, th- it's all interesting stuff. Um well, yeah, he said he was looking at the finish line, so I do think he was thinking about just get over safely as opposed to really attack them. But I don't, I'm no Howard expert. But Robert, your thing about Bromel, I just don't buy that. Oh, that's how he was running recently. What? I think one, the tracks are re- the track. Well, okay, Marcel Jacobs ran 10:05 and 9:99 in his two races before the Olympics. He finished second in Stockholm and third in Monaco. Like Marcel Jacob, he was getting beat by Ronnie Baker in both of those races. He, he wasn't running anything special, and then he goes out and runs really fast. I think this track in, Mon- in 
Tokyo was quite fast. We saw a number of these guys run personal bests in either the semi or the final. I don't think it's... I think Trayvon Bromel, you take the Trayvon Bromel we saw at the Olympic trials and put him on this track for the final, I think he wins. And we didn't see that Trayvon Bromel in Tokyo. Oh, definitely. But we didn't see him in Monaco either. But th- that gets... You know, if you look at the actual winners for most of these events, it's complete stud after complete stud. I mean, a couple of the Americans, high-profile Americans... I mean, if I told you before the Olympics... Okay, Brumell's not going to win the 100, nor is not Ronnie Baker. By the way, then Ronnie Baker became the favorite and just was a non-factor in the final. PRs in the semifinals doesn't do anything in the final. Um, if I tell you, the America's not going to win the 100, Lyles isn't going to win the 200, no one's, Norman's not going to win the 400, and um, Hallway's not going to win the 110 hurdles, you would have said no way. Like the odds of all those, it's like one in four maybe of all those happening each, like it's in the hunt, you know, very unlikely. But look at it. I'm going to list the names of the gold medalists. Total studs here, starting at the men's 200. Andre de Grasse, Stephen Gardner, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, Joshua Cheptegei, Selman Borrega, Karsten Warholm, El Bacale. None of those would have surprised you. The, but the, I skipped over a few names. Marcel Jacobs, complete shock. Emmanuel Career, pretty damn surprising. Although, I've said in the past that he had the talent to do it. So I have hyped him up as a big talent, but his form is so ungainly. And then the other person is Hansley Parchment. I mean, that was really... Impressive by him. What the guy, What was that guy eating in the village? I want to know what his diet was, what he's been up to. Because I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't want to be throwing accusations. He's run twelve ninety four in the past. I just want to know, like, how the hell did he turn it around from not doing, you know, anything close to what he did thirteen oh four in the Olympic final for the last six years to running the race of his life? I, how did that? How did that happen? He has some interesting things to say. He said, look, I realized in the prelims, if I, I've been working a lot on my start. If I got a better start, I could do it. He realized that he was gaining on – he was in all the heats with Hallway. He's like, I was gaining on Hallway in the second half. So what Hallway did was happening in all the heats, just not as not – as, I mean, Hallway's the greatest 60-meter hurdle ever. He's not – you know, he's pretty damn good at 110 hurdles, but he's not as consistent. No, that's that's a great point, Robert, because – Grant said that that was one of the points he made after the race to the media was I was like, damn, Parchment was in all my races and he knew, I think he knew Parchment had closed well in those prelims. And then he's kind of, I think maybe by the final, he's starting to think shit, Parchment's still here. And then you see something out of the corner of his eyes, like he's coming for me and that maybe lose made him that might've made him lose concentration. So that was a, that can't be underestimated though. Did you hear about Parchment? how he almost didn't even make it to the start line for one of his races. No, I did not. Oh, this is a great story. It's been making the rounds on social media. One of the days, I don't know if, I think it was a prelim. He gets on the bus at the athlete village because, you know, they have buses to the stadium and it takes him to, I think the canoeing venue. It took him to, he got on the wrong bus. And so he gets out and he's talking to a volunteer and he's trying to get help. He's like, oh, shoot, I'm in the wrong place. I'm supposed to be at the athletic stadium. He knows if he takes a bus back to the village and then another bus from the village to the track, he won't get there in time. So he essentially works with a volunteer. That volunteer pays for a cab or something or arranges transport for him to get to the athletic stadium. He gets there, advances to the final, wins the final. And then there was a cool video of him on social media where he visited back. He went back to the canoeing venue, I think it was, and he paid back the volunteer and he also showed her the gold medal that he had won in the 110 meter hurdle. So it was a really awesome story. Well, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Actually. 
like going to the women's events, just total studs winning. I mean, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that non-studs don't win Olympic golds very often. Elaine Thompson here, Elaine Thompson here, Shani Mill, Weber, Othing Mill, Faith Kipiega, and Stefana Son, Stefana Son. I mean, those are unreal talents. Jasmine Camacho Quinn, Sydney McLaughlin. Probably the only surprise on the women's side, individual gold. And it was a big surprise heading into this thing. Peruth Chimichai, the Uganda steeplechaser, wins it. So pretty interesting, you know, um, on that. So I was just wondering, though, like, what are the biggest um, shocks of the Olympics in terms of we didn't expect that? And obviously, I think for the men, it's Marcel Jacobs, right? Uh, it has to be. I mean, this guy, track people barely knew this guy going in. I remember I had heard a little bit about him. I think we talked about this on one of the podcasts, but a few a few months ago, I heard the guy's name and I heard he was running for Italy and his name's Marcel Jacobs, which is an American name. And I thought, oh, he's one of those athletes. He, you know, he's a story he was born in America. And like, he's one of those athletes who just started competing for another country because he couldn't hack it in the U.S., and that's not his story at all. He was actually born in El Paso, but then moved to Italy when he was very young. His parents separated. He speaks Italian fluently and doesn't have great English. He so doesn't really speak English. He's, you know, this guy's total Italian. And I remember then in the lead up to the Olympics, I actually read a little bit more about him and realized that wasn't his story because I saw he he ran well in Monaco. He got third in that race in 9.99. And that was a very that was a field that was comparable to what we would see in the Olympic final. So I thought, all right, if you're getting third in an Olympic final type field, I should at least know who you are going into the Olympics. But I guess I didn't really consider. I was like, okay, maybe. You can, and then he ran nine nine four in the first round, and I'm like, all right, nine nine four, especially with how shit uh, how shaky Bromel looked. I was starting to think, okay, this guy could actually win it. But I still thought, even going into the final, I was like, look. We're not going to have Marcel Jacobs is not going to win the Olympics. He's not going to be the hundred meter Olympic champion. It's going to be someone like it's going to be Baker. It's going to be DeGrasse. It's going to be something we can explain. It's not going to be freaking Marcel Jacobs. Yeah, here we are. Two weeks later, Marcel Jacobs is our Olympic champion. I think he's the biggest surprise on the men's side. And then what about Molly Seidel in the women's marathon? I mean, grown men were crying. Let's run. I was sleeping through that one. Missed, missed it, but. I woke up right, yell, yell, bang down the door. I mean, that was amazing to me. I mean, I said the night before she would not medal. And we got an interesting text from somebody. Um, I think it's supporting club member Stu Harrier. And he's like trying to figure out how this happened and like what the run's worth. And um, based on air temp, dew point, Etc. Settles time can be adjusted between four to six percent according to these charts. If you convert her time down by four percent, she it gives her a two twenty one and change. Five percent would be two twenty, and six percent would be two eighteen fifty five. Wow. It's also safe to say that the Puma Adidas have caught up to Nike in the Super Shoe game for the road. There's no Nike advantage any longer. Finally, the shoe question can be put to rest. I'm not willing to say that. I mean, I am willing to say that other, they have good shoes, obviously. Now, they're not at minutes disadvantage, but I still, you know. Robert, are you make, are you making the case? Molly Seidel, your true Olympic champion, because she got beat by Nike and Adidas? 
No, for all I know, the Puma is better than the Nike and Adidas. But uh, the shoe debate is not over for me. Not at all. I, th- I think we want to analyze the spikes. I mean, the sprinters are wearing the distance spikes. Do the shoes help in the sprints? We don't know. How much of it was, was the track? That type of stuff. But Molly had an amazing run. I mean, the way I viewed it is obviously her marathon time at the trials was indicative of her PR, but then she ran London. You know, it was shitty conditions. What's she run there? 225. It was raining, right? So, I mean, she has to be in low 220 pace. You don't win. I, I don't care. I know there aren't that many Africans in the field at the Olympics, but I just don't see how you wouldn't win that if you were in at least in low 220 shape. Yeah. The question with Molly is, is she going to get to a race where she can run that? Because, Based on the way she runs marathons and the kind of marathon her she is, I imagine she's the type who's going to be running Boston, New York every year. And maybe, you know, maybe the I think she said actually she wanted to do worlds on the track next year. But I don't think she's someone who's going to want to go to London and she could run 221 and finish fifth. You know, I think she's someone who wants to go to Boston, New York and try to put herself in contention for the win. Now, maybe she doesn't want to do that. She can also get bigger appearance fees by doing that, those races as well. So I kind of it sounds like she said she's going to be in New York for the marathon this year. I, I assume that means she's running New York this year. So it'll be interested to see what she can do. But yeah, I agree with you. Like definitely, I think 222 or 220. Yeah, 222 or 223 on a fast force. I, mean, I don't know about 220, but you know, certainly minutes faster than what she has run. The the weird thing about that is like if you told me there's going to be an unlikely bronze medalist in the women's marathon, I would have been like, okay, yeah, it's the Olympic marathon. I'm not surprised. Saying like Seidel specifically, obviously that's a fairly big surprise. Even if I did broach the possibility on the podcast before the race. All right, John, it's getting late. We're starting to totally adjust to the time change. Apparently my son, my wife just called my son's still up. It's like 1130 night. I got to put him to bed soon. So two or three more minutes. Speaking of marathon and surprises, Boston Marathon Field came out today. Some prominent, it's got some big American names. Molly Huddle, Jordan Hesay, Scott Fobble, Des Linden. A bunch of Africans most people have never heard of. What can you say about the field? Break it down to people within 30 seconds. I would say for an American fan, there are some fascinating storylines. Can Jordan Hesay return to her? Previous best. She's run very well on two appearances in Boston, but has largely struggled the last two years. Can Molly Huddle finally figure out the marathon? And and if not, she's done, in my mind. Career. Maybe. And then, yeah, there are a lot of East Africans who have run well at some point in the last few years, but there's no real sort of, oh my God, this guy's a total stud. I'm so glad that... We get to watch this guy run. A couple of them are going to show up in shape. Edna Kiplegaard's great, but she's into her 40s now, I believe. I mean, Mari Dababa's pretty pretty good, but you don't have either of the defending champions, Watnesh Jagatha or Lawrence Toronto. So it's going to be kind of a mystery. I'm sure we'll get some good performances up front, but you don't really know any of these guys, like who's in shape, or that sort of thing. I'm actually most interested for the debuts on the men's side because – You've got Jamal Yimmer, who's a 58-33 half-marathon guy. Leonard Barsetan has finished second at World Cross in the past. Those two guys debuting, I think, are probably the most interesting entrants uh, on the men's side. And then Caroline Chepkowicz on the women's side, 65-07 half-marathoner. 
That's interesting that you say that because I briefly I, I put up the article about the field and I put a quick take where I compare the number of sub two hundred five, sub two hundred six, sub two twenty, sub two twenty one type women. The men's field is the numbers are definitely down at the very top compared to years past, which isn't a surprise. We expect that. I mean, the fields are going to be more watered down in the majors because they're all going on. All six are happening this fall, um, but you know, Lenny Berhani, the second best PB in the field, two hundred four thirty three. What do you do in twenty twenty two twenty twenty? DNF Tokyo, DNF Valencia. So, I mean, but someone's like, Boston's known for getting sort of the up-and-comers because, and people pass the prime, to be honest. But they can say, hey, we're not going to give, they don't pay the big appearance fees, but they do have big prize money compared to the other majors. So you come to Boston with a modest appearance fee, but you win it, you'll get big prize money, plus you win a major, you're pretty much set, you know, for the rest of your career in terms of appearance money. So, Interesting on that front. Um, I would love to see Jordan to say get her career back. I don't want to say this is the end for Molly Huddle. Which do I think is more likely, Jordan to say getting her career back or Molly Huddle doing another good marathon? To be honest, neither. What about you? I think it's a say. I mean, Huddle, the, the nice thing about a say is she's, she's younger. She's about 29 or 30, whereas Molly Huddle – We've also seen Molly Huddle race recently. She well, actually, she wasn't racing that well on the track, and then she was too injured to run the trials. So that worries me. If you're too injured to run the Olympic trials on the track, is she healthy? Like she's talked, she basically wasn't. She's had these nagging problems since the 2020 Olympic trials back in February. So Hase, I don't know how much is injury for her, how much is mental, but I think. I think a 29 or 30 year old is more likely to get back to, and she's also been a great marathon in the in the past. I think she's more likely to rebound than, than huddle. Yeah. That that's, that's the correct answer. It has to be. Anyways, if you haven't read the field, check it out on the homepage, but John and I, are, we got to get to sleep until next week. See you guys and gals later. Despite being deathly ill, there's only one reason I could do the first half of this podcast, and that's drink LMNT. It's got all the electrolytes I needed. I didn't need Pedialyte. I just popped some drink LMNT. This has multiple purposes besides just running, but it's great in the summer for dehydration. Electrolytes without the junk. DrinkLMNT.com slash Let's Run and get a free sample pack for $5 shipping. Try it out now. If you don't like it, I'll refund your $5.